0: Welcome to episode number 58 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Eddie Lin, who is the co-founder of Nexus Edge, which is an AI-driven, lifelong career navigation platform helping students discover and build their own career paths. And this company went through Techstars, class of 2017, which is one of the top accelerators in the world. And Eddie's career path has been all over the place. Let's just say career spans roles at UBS Investment Bank, Goldman Sachs adobe and live nation and eddie was even a contestant on the reality tv show fear factor where he ate 20 live bees which i had to ask him about in this episode so we cover that as well and he's a big proponent of traversing you know, the winding career paths to continuously evolve and find the best fit and that's how nexus edge came to be we discussed how that launched how he grew the company found his co-founder shanti and so much more in this episode as always the show notes are at just grind.com slash podcast and please leave a rating review over in itunes or apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show which can be found on soundcloud stitcher spotify google podcasts and more also check out the facebook community for just go grind facebook.com slash groups slash just go grind Without further ado, here is Eddie Lynn, co-founder of Nexus Edge. Eddie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, happy to have you on here. And while there's a lot I want to talk about with Nexus Edge, your company, I am curious just from my own perspective, being an MBA student, as to why you got the MBA and what were you kind of thinking when you got the MBA at the time?
1: Well, a lot of it actually stems from my career path, if we could go into that in a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. So I studied electrical engineering at the University of Texas at Austin, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And someone just said, hey, you're good at math, do that. And then (laughs) graduating, I didn't like it. So I literally applied for every single job that was not engineering. And I ended up at UBS Investment Bank. And uh, a few years later, I ended up at Goldman Sachs. Uh, These are like nothing's ever a waste. I learned something in each one of these things, but part of going back into business school wasn't necessarily, it was more about reconfiguring, resetting certain situations and rather using it as a tool to explore a certain thing. So that was my perspective going in. Everybody has their own reasons for going, but me being able to get to learn other sectors and provide like greater breadth of opportunities was more of what I was looking at going back into school.
0: Yeah, and with the MBA then, I mean, were you even thinking about potentially starting a business back then? Or when did that happen?
1: I always knew that there, I'd say there was always a spirit of entrepreneurship there in the sense that I had always wanted to be able to at least control, I guess my own life. If that's one yeah. way to put it. As in just saying that financially, you control your own upside in terms of working on something that you want to do that's meaningful to you on your own terms, that was something that I wanted to do as well. In terms of articulating that into a very specific thing, I hadn't had that even up until graduation, but those are two very different key traits that I think I had always embodied going through school.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's good to even know that heading into school, that you have that potential (laughs) with that. And I know some people have thought about it. I've talked to different people at the MBA program at USC, who are thinking about starting a business, it's always at some point or like later in their career. But I think it's important to have that because then you can at least go to certain, whether it be conventions or conferences or talks. So you kind of learn some more things about entrepreneurship. And then going into Nexus Edge, obviously there's a little bit in between there from the MBA, but how did you come up with the idea for Nexus Edge? Where did this come from?
1: Well, a lot of it, when anyone's trying to solve a problem, a lot of the unique insights you get stems from your own personal backgrounds. So you want to make sure that this is something that you've had personal experience in, because there's a lot of nuances in solving uh, these types of complex problems. So if you don't have deep experience in a certain sector you're trying to solve, learn it. It just so happens in this case people usually solve a problem that resonates with them. Um, now that we've given a little bit of background about my career starting out, you can kind of see why I would want a platform that <laughs> would help solve my own personal career problems. So, what am I supposed to do and why? How do I get these different opportunities? So you can see that's my personal problem. It was helpful in selecting a co-founder also who also resonated with that problem too, because that has been very helpful in many, many. Details and nuances of the actual product and distribution itself.
0: Yeah, and knowing that you kind of were entrepreneurial thinking or that was a possible path for you, how did you get from having this problem of trying to figure out your career path then to actually making this a reality? So, in terms of like from idea to taking action towards making it a company, how did you get to that
1: point? It took a little bit actually. So, the stuff in between post MBA graduation was I was. Uh, I did marketing at Adobe, which was helpful. But when I graduated, I decided to be a contestant on Fear Factor, which was also also very helpful. Um, (laughs) It's become a very big theme to this day. Fear is not a factor. We see that in a lot of uncertain business scenarios. And then also, I worked at Live Nation Ticketmaster in B2B strategy and business development, which is also very helpful. But in terms... So that kind of helps build the arc of where we're headed into and then just saying, you know what? A lot of my friends and colleagues from back in the day, they had actually quit all their corporate jobs and started doing startups and they did very well. And we we're thinking, well, they can do it. Why can't we? So we thought that that was the appropriate transition for both of us.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the fear factor thing. We had to dig into that a little bit more because that's just it's just not an everyday thing you hear, right? So how did that come to be, the fear factor thing?
1: It's very LA, actually. So <laughs> It really is. Every city has its own characteristics. I've been in Texas, New York, Kansas City, LA, San Jose. But something about LA is they're always casting everywhere for everything. At the gym, actually, in uh, West Hollywood, there was a casting table for Fear Factor. And then me and one of my classmates from business school, one of his good friends lived in LA. So there you go. Business school is being very helpful for these kinds of things. We just started to shout random things at them. Ridiculous, like emphasizing stereotypes, just basically trying to be as dumb as possible. And we knew that's what they were looking for. It's almost like a job interview. And then that led to the second round. And then we did a round with all the producers and then they decided to put us on the season finale. So basically just tried to be as dumb as possible or, well, really, I mean, for something like that. That's you know, wild, yeah. it what makes TV. So you see ra- random casting table, you just try to have fun in life, and then just kind of go with it.
0: And what was it like being on the show, I had to ask?
1: It's really interesting, actually. So what struck me at least about logistically is they blindfold you on the last like two miles going in, so you really know where you're at. There's a lot of people there on set, actually, and it takes eight hours to film like a 15-minute stunt. Yeah, the vibe is really competitive. Everybody on there actually wanted to be an actor, or something along those lines in entertainment, and I just was having a blast, just wanted to have <laughs> good time. So we were all there for different reasons. The environment was very different than what I expected, especially since I hadn't had exposure to industry in the past. It was a very, very competitive environment. Uh, it was really intense. Twenty, like it's like a twenty four seven mentality on okay, how are we gonna like psych out the other team? How do you mess with them? Like, how do you stay mentally focused? Don't worry about what it's like on eating the bees. Just worry about, okay, how are you going to execute and do this right? So it was really interesting lessons, even from a business perspective.
0: Yeah. And I, I want to dig into fear for sure, especially when it revolves around a company and starting a company. But with the fear factor thing too, the, the, the bees you just gloss over again. It's like you had to eat 20 bees. People don't know this. What were you thinking when you first heard that?
1: Well, we do this in teams, right? So I mentioned my, I alluded to my uh, teammate briefly. She was covered in 200,000 live bees. And when she found out that she had to be covered in bees or eat them, she started crying. And then on the waivers, I think it, I'm think i sure it had something to do with bees. I, I think it was on page 29 or something. I just was like, whatever. But I think we don't really think about, okay, what's going to happen when I eat the bee? It's more about, okay, well, we're here. We can't really leave. You really can't. I drove you here in a van. You don't know where you're at. You just know that you want to you wanna win. They basically selected people who want to win at all possible costs, very startup mentality, uh, in a sense. And then so you know, you're competitive, you want to win. So just think about, okay, this is the best way to eat the bees. This is a fast way to do it. What process improvements do I have over the previous guy who did it? Where did he waste some time? Where can I pick up on this? How can we essentially outdo the other teams? And so it's more about you're thinking so much about execution, you're not thinking about, well, is the bee going to sting me in my mouth? What is it going to taste like? Is it crunchy? And it does taste like honey. You don't really think about exactly all those things that could go wrong because you're so focused on what you need to do to execute, which actually I thought was really interesting because I feel like that's a similar mentality that you take in the startup scene.
0: Oh, exactly. It seems to apply perfectly to the startup scene. And with Nexus Edge, you had a partner when starting this as well. How did that partnership form? Like, What was that relationship like?
1: What's interesting is, me and Shanti, we met over 13 years prior in orientation on the first day of UBS Investment Bank. And oh, wow. Yeah. So it's interesting is all these connections you form throughout your life, even socially, you never know what they could turn into later. You look for people with complementary skill sets. It turns out later, she moved to Discovery Channel near New York Public Radio. She had careers in UI, UX design, a complementary skill set that I needed. So It's interesting as things evolve over time, you look at who you've known really well, who you can get along with, and the right team members, it could be someone that you've known for almost your whole life. Uh, You just never know. So just make sure you continue to meet as many people as possible. And you never know, maybe you'll collaborate one day. But the most important thing is you're going out there and meeting people.
0: Yeah. And with the idea, did you specifically search her out immediately when you had this idea? Or how did that happen? I'm always curious about that type of thing.
1: Um. Yeah. Everybody meets their founders in different ways, but in this case, I had to test a few pieces of the platform. Um. One of them was like a video chat, and that's not something you can really test on your own. You can call somebody. So I was like, exactly. like, yeah. So it's perfect. So I was like, "Who's available right now? Who's a good friend of mine who probably quit their like tenth job and, and is free in the middle of the day?" Uh. Oh well. Let's see. So Shanti is, and then we just, <laughs> I was like, "Hey, what else do you like?" Uh. And then what else can you help? in this, this, and this, and that evolves into something much more permanent. So it was just kind of how we started collaborating came from, it just kind of organically happened. So in this case, that's kind of how it evolved. And I don't think you should rush into those things at all. And I think it's important. that it's really well considered as you move forward into that process.
0: Yeah, and it's one of the most important things of any company is having that team in place and the right team in place. And you had mentioned though, that you, you were testing the video or call feature. What was some of those first initial steps you took once you had this idea in terms of the vision for it, planning it, things you wanted to test. I'm just curious on your process. Once you had the idea and wanted to move forward with it, what were some of those first things you did?
1: Well, one of the things in the whole startup scene that happens is it's almost always the case of whatever you started out doing is definitely not what you're doing at the very end. <laughs> yep. Definitely there was like 50 pivots along the way too. So what we're doing now is like non-recognizable from what we had started out doing. So it was more about, but what is uniform is like solving that problem I was telling you about. How do we figure out? what to do with our careers and what are the tools that can help us get those places and what do we struggle with and even the demographic we serve has changed over time and because we realize this is a much larger problem than our own personal peers this is a global problem and how do you solve that among different demographics so that's shifted the entire product scene by itself the product uh features itself shifted so much it really is just a question of pivoting so The most important thing out there, I think, is what you're getting at is how do you just go out to market quickly to know what to pivot to? Because a lot of people do this analysis paralysis thing where they're sitting here trying to get the perfect product. So they wait six months and they don't even go to market. They spend so much money. Then they do go to market and they realize nobody wants to use it anyway, but they actually do pivot. They've already spent way too much money and wasted too much time or someone else has entered the market. So really the important thing is to get out there. Into market and with something, the minimum viable product, which is a very popular concept out there. I'm a big fan of using Squarespace to build that minimum viable product because it actually is flexible enough to, it basically builds websites without knowing how to code. And that way you quickly make some changes, you can validate certain use cases, scenarios, what your customers want, even through social media, you can do that. And that way you can change on the, like turn on a dime and not spend a lot of time or money building something that nobody cares about. And even once you start building, you're just constantly testing, testing, testing with your demographic and it'll be much more illuminating to see where you end up with the product.
0: Yeah, and that's such an important thing to test it and have have it out in the market. And to that point, though, what was the first thing you did to get it in the market? Were you just, oh, here's this platform, you started you know, talking to friends and family about it or like, what did you do to get this out into the world first?
1: Well, I'm the kind of person, based on previous experiences and stuff like that, I like to get out and actually meet actual people. So I think there is a like something called the Google Sprint Design Method. I'm sure Shanti could discuss more about it too. But you do something called user interviews, personas. I think there's some stat out there that says like five people will tell you through this interview process will tell you 80 percent of the information that you need to know, and like I know like a hundred other interviews after that only provide incremental uh, like additions of knowledge. So I think going out there and talking to strangers is actually the best way to do it. So in thinking, well, if these are, if I'm here to help students, let's go find some students to talk to. So maybe you go on campus. Now, if you're a current student, that's easy. Start talking to your peers, friends, whatever. Go back on campus. Uh, maybe people hang out by the Career Services Center. Just start talking to as many strangers as possible and try to get a sense of their pain points. There is an interview process to do all this, but you got to get started by talking to a real person. I think it's much harder to like do those like scalable like A/B tests at the earliest stages. I think it's just easier to talk to somebody and build something up from there, and then start doing more uh, typical data-driven type testing. But I think to start out, talk to somebody.
0: Yeah, and and I'm always curious on details too. So like, what were some of those questions you're asking or things you were trying to get out of these interviews? Were there certain particular things you're wondering or trying to validate at that time initially?
1: Uh, it would be okay. So would you want to talk to someone who's been in your previous career path before? Uh, to help you, uh, tell you what you need to do? Do you want to talk to alumni on um, to tell you how to shape your different career path? When you do talk to alumni, like what are the shortcomings of the different platforms you have right now? Uh, try to identify their pain points within the process. What do you wish you had? Or it's, it's, the, it's the questions, it's the things they don't really ask. Trying to get a sense of their different pain points That they don't explicitly say. And that's through the interview process about what exactly do you wish were the case right now within your career process. Just listen to people complain (laughs) is actually tremendously helpful in itself.
0: Right. And finding all those pain points they have then and going deeper, imagining into that so you can get actual insights that help you
1: form the right product for them. Right. And that gives you insights on how do you start taking the first steps for that first iteration of the product.
0: Right. And then I know you were in Techstars class of 2017. I'm curious as to where like the company was at by that point and why you wanted to go into an accelerator program.
1: So it's really interesting because everyone goes into the program at different stages. There are people who come in raising over a million dollars. There are people who've already raised over a million dollars. There are people who come in who are even earlier than us. Maybe we fell somewhere in between. In terms of accelerators, I mean, they're definitely helpful at all kinds of different stages. It was just the weirdest timing for us. Like you see, with the Fear Factor casting table happening, like right where we were at, uh, kind of around graduation, we kind of stumbled upon when they were starting different programs at TechStars as well. That hey, this happened to be the right timing for us. We ran into someone who was looking to start building up the programs. And then, so the timing just worked itself out for us to apply. So it was just good timing as well as uh, everything else.
0: Yeah, and that was a couple years though after you had the initial idea. And at least from the timelines I'm seeing, like based on LinkedIn and everything, at that point in time, then like how many like I guess customers or users roughly, or like where were you? I you said you were kind of in the middle in terms of you know hadn't raised a ton of money yet, but weren't like just idea phase. I'm curious on a little bit more the where your company was at.
1: Yeah, at that stage, we had raised money from uh, Tech Coast Angels. So we had a little bit of a raise. It was just from uh, angel investors at that point. Uh, we have existing clients. So traction is really important. Traction is validation that somebody actually cares about what you're doing and what your product is. And that can come from the two most common ways to do that are actual revenue and also user and user engagement. So it's either one or the other or ideally both. <laughs> uh, we have a little bit of mix of both. And we kind of use that as the foundation for at least this is what early traction is, which generates the early investors. And this is how you make a case for what you can do going into the program and how it can help you grow.
0: Yeah. And obviously, like there's multiple accelerators out there. Was it just by accident that Techstars was convenient or like were there other accelerators you were looking at at that time? I'm curious on that process.
1: Well, I mean, at that time, it just, you know, there's two big accelerators thing people think of. And those are always in the back of our minds. We always like to work with, I mean, it always, I think we've always gravitated towards, okay, let's work with the best people in the best organizations. And it just happened that they had, they were starting programs in LA, and Kansas City, and all over. They just had new programs and they were starting to create those. And then the timing worked itself out really well. And those were great programs. So we decided that, hey, the timing works as well as, Uh, it's a program that we'd be interested in doing regardless.
0: Yeah. And for you, with the accelerator, what were you looking to get out of it specifically?
1: There's a lot of things you can get out of it. And so many things in terms of uh, networking is always incredibly important. So many things we've done like throughout our whole lives, I guess technically have been through networking. In fact, at USC, one of the guest speakers makes you write this down when he walks into class, which is your network is your network. And I find that really true. It rings true in so many different areas from fear factor to entertainment and beyond. So networking was really important. Techstars has an amazing, really, really large global network that has been tremendously helpful. It's like a really, really close family in a really globally distributed way. So that's really important. Uh, Getting really good guidance from people who've been there before has been really helpful too. So that has been really helpful as well. A lot of introductions to uh, venture capital additional. That's always helpful as well. And also that you know, like people recognizing the program also adds a sense of credibility, which is really helpful for early stage companies as well. So those for are sure. benefits um, from an accelerator perspective.
0: Yeah, and then with the accelerator, obviously it's a it's a short timeline, right? It's like three months roughly. At these, typically they're three months. I think TechStars is three months as well. And what. Well, obviously, there's so many different benefits, and there's a lot going on during this period of time. Like, how fast did your business grow, or like, where did it go from pre TechStars to then like after TechStars?
1: Well, I think the big thing was for everyone does kind of different things throughout the program. I think for us, it was uh, there's a concept called product market fit, and I think we were just kind of honing in on the different features, and we did a lot of product iteration actually during TechStars itself quite rapidly. In fact, following the program. And, like, uh, what people usually do after demo day, which is when everyone does their presentations, uh, summarizing what they did over the summer, is they raise a little bit of capital. And we did the same after that. So we cleaned up a lot of what we were doing. We prepared for a little bit of uh, capital. And then after that, we went out to market a little bit more. And then we just continuing to scale from there.
0: Yeah. Obviously, product market fit, a lot of people talk about this. What for you? was helpful in figuring that out and kind of getting to a point where like, you felt really comfortable with where you're at with it?
1: Well, product market fit can come in. There's like a number of different stages of different product market fit. It's just in terms of, hey, are there people on the platform? Are they How are they getting on the platform? Are they deriving value from the platform? Who are the different stakeholders involved? For us, it would be instructors, students, employers. Are they getting value from it? What do they wish they had? It's things like that about who's getting value from what, and then you kind of change your product features or add features or adjust things based upon the pain points or additional uh, feedback from the existing stakeholders and try to build a consensus from there.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned obviously a lot of benefits and various things from being at tech stars. I'm just curious as to like you personally, what did you enjoy most about being at tech stars?
1: Well, I mean, uh, the same we enjoy about business school and life is we try to have as much fun as possible and we try to be as productive as possible. So uh, I'd like to say we hosted this epic party at our apartment there and it was a blast. That was a ton of fun. Yeah, just getting to know the people in our class was a lot of fun. Spending a lot of time with them was a lot of fun. Uh, The activities they had was a lot of fun. And just being productive and executing is a lot of fun too. So I think with all parts of life, like business school, accelerators, everything, it's always a mix of enjoying life and really trying to make an impact. And I think they all go together and those are two really important values for us.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like an amazing experience and obviously an opportunity to to meet so many people. And then once you go through it, you're forever a company that has gone through Techstars and that never changes. And so, you know, since then, how have you focused on growing the company since and acquiring new customers, signing new people up?
1: Yeah, so since then it helps you clarify like who your customers are going to be, when your best acquisitions uh, strategies are. So uh, from there, we kind of figure out, okay, well, these are the kind of product adjustments we need to make. These are the additional types of people that we should start working with. These are going to market, we realized, okay, these are the better techniques for, in terms of us, deployment and getting to market. Uh, what's the best way to engage the students, in the, like, students in, like, in the colleges that we serve? Everything is very different just based upon like the markets and testing and everything like that. So we just continue to take the original theses that we came up with during Techstars and make adjustments and just take the processes that we learned from the program and take that with us forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you said, obviously us and we. And working with your partner how do you handle responsibilities roles and figuring out you know when you're going to meet or talk about things and strategize how does that work just curious
1: yeah so it's interesting is because the teams tend to be really small in a source of startup scenario there's going to be a lot of really close collaboration and there's a lot of overlap in terms of what you do as well but everyone has their own areas of expertise as well so actually something there's a you know certain corporate concepts always come back to us like at uh, goldman I think on Wikipedia, you'll see like decision-making by consensus or something was like a value they had there, which doesn't necessarily mean like everyone has to agree on like something absolutely. Or their group think is something you learn in business school. That's negative towards something related to that. But it's not that it would be, you kind of agree that say, okay, well, this is what we both think the best decision would be in this case. Or if we differ in our opinions, then this is going to be your call in on this one because you're the UX person. This is what you do. You've done this. So let's go with what your gut is on that one. And if something isn't the right thing on it, no one's going to be like, hey, this is your fault. Saying, okay, well, let's go try another alternative. Maybe it was the other thing that we guessed. So really, it's collaborating on the things that we both are familiar with. And then just saying that in certain areas where and trusting the expertise in areas in which it falls under into that other person's category. You kind of work in terms of... I think what's really big advantageous in terms of startup-wise that we especially appreciate spending our whole lives in corporate is that we collaborate in the times that we need to collaborate. When she needs to be heads down, focusing on creating different designs, you know, turn on the music, focus, uh, leave her alone, uh, do that kind of thing. If I just need to be sitting there like, and doing my thing, turning out emails or whatever, that's fine too. There's times you need to spend on Skype or whatever until like 2 in the morning. That's fine too. It doesn't matter if it's a weekend, no big deal. Uh, the advantages to the startup scene is that you can work. You don't have to commute if you don't want to. You commute at uh, the most efficient parts of the day. So that's how you take an advantage over those with more resources is that you can work more efficiently, you can work longer, And you can make decisions uh, much more quickly.
0: Yeah. And I'm always curious with startup founders, there's a short term and the long term. There's like the day to day tasks to get done, there's the planning, strategizing future things. Like, how do you decide when to be in that short term, you know, day to day stuff you have to do versus planning a little farther out, whether it be months or even potentially years ahead? How do you plan that?
1: Well, you always kind of have that overall strategy, and it comes up a lot organically anyway, because even when you aren't actively raising venture, you are still meeting uh, VCs or you occasionally just have meetings with them anyway. And so by doing that, you often articulate like your larger vision or where you're currently looking to head towards. Uh, you're also meeting uh, business partners as well, corporations you could partner with. And that you also... You're always talking about that. And Even, even if that changes a little bit, that's fine. Uh, you, you stay aligned on the long term through like talking about that with external people on a regular basis. Now, that always shapes the short-term execution items, your to-do list, your Trellos, your Asana, your base camps, or whatever project management software you use, or however you do your project management, Post-it notes, who knows. Like, that is a reflection. Those day-to-days typically reflect the type of execution you need to hit that overall vision. So that overall vision stays pretty consistent naturally just through you know, operating within the space. And then you constantly reevaluate your short-term tasks to see if those continue to help get you closer towards that vision or do they need to be modified or adjusted to continue to get there? Are they still relevant if you made some kind of pivot?
0: Right. And then going through all that with obviously the day-to-day things and working in the business and growing the business and Time has passed now, years have gone by since you started. You know, what have been some of the, the biggest challenges or obstacles you've had to overcome as you've been going through this business?
1: You know, there's always challenges day-to-day, long term. I mean, ah, there's so many, <laughs> so many challenges, but it's hard to describe. It's like you in the beginning, you always think, oh, someone will say, like basically if you Google like what you were thinking your original idea is gonna be, there's probably like a hundred other companies that do that. And as you continue doing that someone's going to say oh doesn't so and so do that or doesn't so and so do that and you kind of freak out with it and you like there's always someone going to be in your space so you'll carve out something or figure something out or there's multiple people going to exist in it it's not really a big deal that kind of stuff like worried me more than it should have early on and it's funny is i used to now i just look back i'm like that's not really a big deal and then later on you realize okay well like who else is in space okay well what like what challenges are there in the space how do you best scale in the space you not know the answers for certain areas where you just naturally have to go test to see what's going to happen. I think those are the kind of things that we think about going forward, which is as you continue to start expanding and scaling, like the problems do change. The bar does get higher. What used to be considered an achievement is now considered like, that's all. It's so funny. Every stage, it's like uh, something that was supposed to be considered an achievement suddenly becomes like... So far in the back that it's like, "Oh, you should be much farther along than that," and yet that was the bar, like not that long ago.
0: right Now it's just business as usual. that's what you should be doing. so it just changes as time goes on. And also looking back, obviously there's, there's so many different challenges and everything. But what have you learned, or what are some of you the know, the biggest lessons you've kind of had throughout this whole process of, of growing Nexus edge?
1: Wow, there's so many different challenges. I think the biggest one, though, is team is really important too, because that's actually one of the things they look at most closely at TechStars. Is because you pivot everybody pivots so much that one thing that's going to be constant is the team. And because, like you said, there's so many different challenges. It's got to be the type of team who can weather those challenges. So it's got to be, there's certain characteristics the team has to be in alignment on. Otherwise, you're basically not going to be able to withstand the pivots and the challenges that are inevitable. And those certain things are, you're not afraid to challenge each other's ideas. And if you disagree on something, you can quickly come to a resolution You move on. You have very similar work ethics, you have very similar values. Uh, you have very similar long-term goals. So it's being able to have complementary skill sets, similar values, similar long-term vision. You can work through challenges together. Those are the kind of core skills that you're looking to within a foundational team. Uh, and that's become really important.
0: Yeah. And one last major thing on Nexus Edge, at least. I'm just curious as to what, what that vision is for Nexus Edge moving forward for you.
1: So the vision has always been on democratizing access to opportunity, so that everyone has equal access to jobs, regardless of their age, race, gender, or socioeconomic background. So, all too often, you see a lot of times that the person who gets the job isn't necessarily the most skilled. You see constant articles about how there's always some form of discrimination or bias, conscious or unconscious, and how do you really solve that? Is from a really a skills evaluation perspective. So that's been one really key aspect of how we do that. Like, how do you really create that currency around that? Uh, Another process is how do you guide uh, students into doing those different pathways at scale? So now AI has become a more mature technology. Well, whatever, not I wouldn't say mature, but (laughs) it is a more prominent technology. It's progressed to the point you can use it to beta test cars driving around by themselves, at least. And that has at least gotten people to the point where it can at least be used to advise students on what they should be doing with their career. At least get that piece moving. So, how do you guide somebody at scale, and how do you provide that opportunity purely based on merit?
0: Yeah, and there's a lot, a lot of opportunity in that space because even from talking to people, whether it be MBA students, friends of mine, whatever about their career, it's such a people are all looking for answers. They're looking for ways to find that right path, that right career. And there's a lot of data and information out there. If we can organize that and come up with the best ways to, yeah, I guess it's essentially give them the career that's going to be best for them. And it may evolve over time, but I really like Nexus edge in terms of looking at the platform, what it can potentially be. It seems like it's very exciting <laughs> and there's a lot more. I'm sure you guys are going to be doing
1: with it. Thank you so much. I tell Shanti too, she'd really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I always have to ask, like guess I'm always curious as to starting a business from scratch, doing it again, you know, I was people listening to this show, a lot more aspiring entrepreneurs. What are some of those considerations you look at first when you have a business idea?
1: And the first couple of things is is it gonna be like a venture backable type business? Uh, or is it gonna be something that's just kind of like your regular cash flow type business? And that is both of them are fine. So if you wanna do something like a flower shop or something, just like a something on the like mom and pop type thing, which is fine. Uh, that's one type of business. It has a very different track than, say, a venture capital, venture backable type business. So start with that. And then if it's going to be the venture backable type business, that's going to be very specific attributes and that you break down because there are timelines associated with that. Whereas in the former, there were no timelines. So in this case, there has to be a very large addressable market, billion dollar plus, at least. Uh, it has to be in something that you think you can take a substantial a portion of that within I don't know like the life cycle of a VC fund. So within seven ish years, I think it's growing now. Uh, longer than that, companies are staying private longer. Things like that has to meet certain attributes in the VC space. So pick one or the other first. Was it going to be? Then do if it's going to be the VC route. Then you know we kind of know at least the steps now, which is build a minimum viable product as fast as possible, test different hypotheses from the market. Pivot like, as much as you need to, but get through it quickly and to figure out what you really want to do, really want to scale, and then start moving from there. So that's probably the formula, if there is such a thing, that we would do what we would follow.
0: Yeah, and with Nexus Edge, though, was that... Did you know already from the beginning, like, this is going to be... I want it to be big, I want it to be VC-backed. Like You made the decision immediately, or was it kind of just organically happened that way?
1: I think at that time, we didn't really know like what... I don't see what the difference was, but we didn't really have that delineation very clearly within our minds. But we kind of instinctively wanted to go the venture route. But now we're very clear on basically the different routes and what each one requires. So there's much more clarity now, but I think before it was more of a gut feel kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad you said that because it's such an important kind of first question and consideration to really look at is, are you going to be the VC-backed route or are you really going to go, whether it be a lifestyle, business, mom and pop, whatever you want to call it, because there, there are clear differences. And they're even like in terms of fundraising stuff, there's many different ways to get funds for a business besides venture. And I actually interviewed Rand Fishkin recently, whose episode will be coming out soon. And he mentioned the same type of thing. Like he raised venture capital for Moz. And now in his new company, he ra- did a whole different thing where it's kind of sharing some of the revenue after taxes, whatever it may be, like sharing some of the revenue side of things from a different investing method essentially. So there are diff- different routes to consider, but it's important, like you mentioned, the figuring out lifestyle business versus VC, because there's gonna be different paths for both for sure. And as you've gone through your career, what have been some valuable resources that kind of have helped you through this journey, whether it be podcasts, audiobooks, books, blogs, conferences, et cetera?
1: I would say all of the above and then kind of aggregated and trying to figure out what the right resources are resources are specifically for us. And that's the funny thing is part of our mission is essentially aggregate that type of information for and centralize it for people to really help them within their career. That's actually one of the big things that we're trying to do anyway, kind of reflected within our product as well. Like how do you cut out the different noise and all the different resources and what actually is there to help you? What, Do we find uh, most relevant in terms of articles or podcasts or everything that's been very helpful for us? How do you put all the minds together in this space so you can get a greater breadth of opinion and other ideas? And that's what we've been trying to aggregate from our product perspective as well. So that kind of hits the nail on the head for us.
0: Yeah. And actually, that makes me think of another question. like, How do you, in terms of your company, then aggregate that information and organize it?
1: Oh, well, there's a lot of different features as well where now anyone can post questions and reply to each other's posts. I mean, it's a, a traditional type concept that we've implemented among um, one of the other product sets. So let's see. I think one of the more entertaining ones I've seen in a while was a student posted, How do I make a million dollars quickly? You get every answer from go to Vegas and pray to short sell the market to specific answers on like, different career type questions, too. So that sort of feature that we've added, the uh, Social wall, as we call it, is something that you can always access and post questions. And there will be people on there from different aspects of their career who've been very helpful so far. Like, what is it like to work in the FBI, is what one student asked. And then someone from the FBI actually answered their post. So oh, that's amazing. they <laughs> to aggregate the latent human capital in the world all around us.
0: Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, there's just so many different tasks, so many things demanding your time and attention. I'm curious as to how you manage your time and your energy day to day as an entrepreneur.
1: You have to prioritize. So the one thing you can't buy is time. So you have to be really focused on what you really want to do. Now that may change based, like I said, because we're pivoting so much, like that's just what happens throughout the process is that that may change, but focus is really important too. And sometimes we haven't always been as focused as we would like, But Basically, picking the tasks, breaking down the tasks very granularly, even for the day. I think everyone does it very differently. But just being able to sit down and try to grind through those. Um, also, working longer than most people and the habits that you form been really helpful too. So you can't buy time, but you can also work longer than most people. Uh, you can be more efficient. Those types of things, they've come through other parts of our career as well. Because I remember in our previous jobs, there were times where I ate all three meals at my desk, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But what's really weird is to this day, there's no one telling me I have to do that, but it just felt very natural. So those types of habits that we form, they don't go to waste. And because I do that, it saves a ton of time too. So time and efficiency are on our side for the one thing you can't buy.
0: Right, exactly. And then going through as an entrepreneur as well, there's there's ups and downs. How do you personally manage that or de-stress and get away from from that as well?
1: I don't know. I think being able to be mentally disciplined just throughout is really important i think that comes from i don't know just general lifestyle habits in general whether it be through sports some people i'm like just working out i think is just helpful because people always have all these things and it's true too about okay you go work out provide greater clarity you're more focused here or there there's like all these books on stuff like that uh, i think that's helpful but also even things like fear factor too which is why i mentioned i keep going back to that because again it's like you're not gonna it's not like you're gonna freak out on the show They say <laughs> The freaking beef, right? Right. So you're allowed to freak out. So, and similarly, in this case, you're not allowed to freak out. You just have to execute. So, if you take that kind of calm, disciplined mindset, you can do that. But I mean, everybody has their own way of de stressing or getting away, whether it be hiking, running, biking, swimming, gym, tennis, which is what I do sometimes, or whatever people want to do that resonates with them. But I think a general sustained mindset. Of like focus and discipline, uh, similar to what I said, both Fear Factor and our day to day now, I think is actually what is like very key because you can't just go run off and jog every time you have run to a <laughs> problem.
0: Right, <laughs> it's important to understand that and understand yourself and what helps you personally. Because like you said, everyone is different. Some people may meditate, some people may sprint, run, whatever it may be. You're just figuring that out for yourself. When you knew, actually, to that point, though, I'm actually curious as to when you find the time to do that? Or how are you, is it at nighttime? Is it in the morning? Is like at a weekend, you're just like, yep, now I need to really get away. Like, how do you approach that?
1: Again, it always comes down for efficiency for me. So uh, I go to the gym in like the least popular hours. That way, the drive to the gym is really short. Yeah. You don't have to wait for anything or anybody at the gym. So I just like to use like the opposite. See, that's a good thing about the whole sort of, World is that because you have that flexibility, you can do stuff like that. Like I keep going back to is the one thing you can't buy is time. And so I can do everything more efficiently than everyone else. Whereas let's say you are going to the gym where you have to wait for like different machines and stuff like that because you're going at like five, six or whatever, 7 p.m. I could probably reduce the waiting time by like a third because I go when no one else is going. Or you Go head to the beach when no one else is going there, or something like that. You just go on an off hour because you have that flexibility.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And Eddie, as uh, you've gone through your career, obviously you've learned a lot in the entrepreneurial space and growing your company. Like, what other advice or last kind of parting words would you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or business owners?
1: I think I would just tell people to go to market, build your minimum viable product as quickly as possible. Do not like overly debate on what should be and should not be in it because you're going to be wrong anyway. Just take that to market, take the user feedback, make adjustments accordingly, iterate, and then go back and do it again until you feel comfortable with it. So that would be the biggest thing is just stop like being hypothetical about stuff and just take something and go to market. And anybody can do it, especially with a tech product. You don't necessarily need to have some crazy tech background to do something these days to at least get the process going.
0: Right. Exactly. And Eddie, thank you so much for the time today. Where can people go to learn more about you and what you're working on?
1: So feel free to email me at eddie at nexusedge.com, E-D-D-I-E. Also, just go to our website, nexusedge.com also to sign up. Feel free to share knowledge. There's a lot of people out there asking questions about a really wide variety of subjects. So go on nexusedge.com and answer people's questions on that wall I was talking about. Or if your employer looking to recruit, there's plenty of students on there too. If your students looking for guidance on your jobs, what you should do for your career path, apply to internships or jobs, that's all on there too. So everybody can solve a lot of different, uh, their own career issues just going on nexusedge.com. So there's there, you can go to nexusedge.com for guidance from the greater community or you can email me as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for the time today, Eddie. Really appreciate it, man.
1: All right. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. It was, We had a blast. Thank you so
0: much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.